Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Here we go, Draft Knicks. Here we go. Another edition of Draft Nation's podcast. I'm Joe412, and welcome back. Those of you who have not listened to our show before, this is a show that caters to the Draft Knicks. So if you like mock drafts, you'd like to know what salary cap provisions your favorite teams have to worry about. If you worry about your, your free agents and potential free agent signings for your team, this is the show for you. We talk a lot about drafts. We talk a lot about sports, all four major sports. And tonight we have a very special guest. We have Chris Mack from 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh and also BetQR, or BetQL Network. Chris, welcome to the show, and are you ready to go on the clock? Absolutely, Joe. Let's do it. Well, hey, man, we had we got a lot to talk about. We have an hour tonight, extra half an hour uh, that Blog Talk Radio granted us tonight, and I'm, I'm going to use every second of that with you. And uh, we're going to start with a hot topic. Last week's show was 90 minutes of straight-up uh, talk about the NCAA playoff system and is it rigged, is it not, is this the way it should be, was it fair, wasn't it? Uh, and as a Michigan fan, I don't care. We're still number one. We're going to the Rose Bowl, and that's fine by me. <laughs> but I know there's a lot of people complaining about – uh, Alabama, I don't want to say sneaking in. They won the SEC, and they beat a team that hadn't lost in almost three years. It's hard to say they snuck in. Uh, but there's a lot of people out there that are throwing up their hands, saying, you know, Florida State had an undefeated season, won the ACC, did everything they could to get there. And because of an injury, this was something that was chosen by a bunch of guys in a room somewhere that have never played the game. And, you know, therefore it was a little unfair. Uh, there were even people – calling for Georgia to be part of it, saying, well, if you're going to say that Alabama's good, Georgia's lost one game in three years, how do you not put them back in uh, and rank them there where you've got a, you know, a Texas squad that plays in a, in a down mm-hmm. Big 12 or, 
or a Washington squad that, yeah, they won in the Pac-12, but that's like seven-on-seven football. What's your thought on how this went down? Was it fair or was it not fair? And if you wanted to change it, what would you do to change it? Wow, it's a good thing we got extra time tonight, Joe. Um, where do I start? Oh, yeah, we're good. We're, good. we're rolled up, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Let me start with this. Um, it's my belief that if a team is an undefeated Power 5 conference champion, they should be in. Um, we, at one point this year, were presented with the possibility that we may end up with uh, four undefeated conference champions, which would have been perfect, right? I think in that scenario – there's no questions about this, right? They just go with the four undefeated teams and probably actually benefits Florida State in that regard because regardless of whether their quarterback is healthy or not, if you've got four undefeated teams, four undefeated Power Five conference champions, I don't think you can make an argument that a one-loss team should get in, even if we're talking about a team that's now working with a backup quarterback. So I always look at it, and and maybe this is amateurish of me, but – I was looking to say, hey, what are the records? And in this case, I thought it was pretty straightforward. There were three undefeated teams, all three of them conference champions. And so with that being said, those three, in my opinion, have to be in. You have to have Michigan, Washington, and Florida State. Quickly, before I get to the Florida State logic and reasoning, I will say this about Georgia. Georgia may be a better team than Alabama. Georgia may be a better team than Texas. But if we get subjective about this, and and this will roll into my thoughts on Florida State being excluded as well, the minute we try to get too subjective with this and we lose all objectivity, i.e. the records on the field, the games that were played on the field, then we might as well just make this a popularity contest. And the playoff was built to avoid the popularity contest. Look, I was made a college football fan in the mid-90s when a a buddy of mine who had moved to Pittsburgh from central Pennsylvania introduced me to Penn State football. I knew Penn State football existed, obviously, before I was 14 years old, but I was always one of those kids that just kind of watched with a neutral eye, Pitt, Penn State, West Virginia, all being in our area. And then I watched the 94 Penn State football team, Kerry Collins, Kajana Carter, uh, undefeated Big Ten champs. They go to the Rose Bowl, and they just absolutely demolish Oregon, Oregon before we knew them as they are currently, right? And I said, how, how are they not getting the And it turned out Tom Osborne was more popular than Joe Paterno at that point in time. And so Tom Osborne and the Nebraska Cornhuskers, the other undefeated team that year, they got more votes. And we sought to get rid of the popularity system in college football by first the, the, you know, the, the bowl championship series and the BCS. And then finally we worked our way all the way up to a four team playoff. And we said, yes, this is the best way to decide it because it will get decided on the field the way it should be decided, not via a popularity contest. Well, the second we decide to exclude an undefeated power five conference champ, we're immediately reverting to subjectivity and eye test over what actually happened on the field. And I can't do that. I'm sorry. I can't. I think it's ridiculous that in the final year of the four-team playoff, it got absolutely screwed by a committee who sat there on the final day of the season, the conference championship Saturday, and said, 
Oh, look at that Seminole offense. They can't really do much, can they? Well, not for nothing. They were working with their third-string quarterback in that game, not their second string, who would have been back for a playoff game. But you also can't predict what's going to happen in the playoff games. You can't. Possible to predict. If you were able to predict what was going to happen in playoff games, I don't think anybody would have had TCU in the national championship game last year, despite the regular season they had. It has to be played out on the field. And so it should have been included. And at that point, you go to the next best one-loss team. You had two conference champions, Power Five conference champions, I should say, who were one-loss teams, Texas and Alabama. Well, it doesn't get any more perfect than that. They played it out on the field this year. And one team beat the other team on their home turf, no less. So it would have been real simple for this thing to be Michigan, Washington, Florida State, and Texas. And would the SEC have been excluded? You bet. But, again, we come back to the subjectivity and popularity clause of this whole thing, which is ESPN is the main benefactor of the CFP. They benefit the most from all of this, and you better sure as hell believe that ESPN getting ready to go into their first full year as the primary media partner for the SEC in 2024 was not going to allow the SEC to be excluded from the CFP. So you roll it all up into one big ball of wax, and I think it's ridiculous that Florida State was excluded from the playoff. May they have gone out there and gotten absolutely waxed by Michigan? Sure. That's, that's, that's a distinct possibility. Would they have gone in 14-and-a-half, 15-point underdogs? Yeah, of course. They're playing with a backup quarterback against the best defense in college football. But you have to play it out on the field. And so that is the most disappointing part of this for me. And I, I, I just have a hard time believing. Look, we're going to go into a 12-team scenario next year. So we'll be arguing about teams 10, 11, team rather than 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But, you know, it, we would have had a similar argument this year with, you know, Penn State, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, all being Missouri, all being two lost teams, and who gets in, and how are they seeded, and all this. But this was the final year to get it right with the four-team system, and the committee just absolutely blew it and reminded all of us that in the grand scheme of things, college football, even if you try to make it as objective and merit-based as possible, is always just going to be a wild high school-like popularity contest. Well, you know, you mentioned a few things in there that I think are noteworthy. The first is what I would call the SEC Invitational. I mean, is it mm-hmm. do they get an automatic bid every year? Uh, is this something that the, the because the SEC supposedly has the best conference in this year? I think objectively, if people would have looked at the at the at the standings and the games as you described, they were sub five hundred against other you know power conferences. And, you know, I don't know why they get the auto bid. And I'll take one step further and say next year it's not just people complaining about 10, 11, 12, 13. You're going to hear people complaining about how the SEC has five teams or Mm -hmm. six teams that are going to qualify in that because, you know, let's face it. I mean, we saw Michigan play Iowa, uh, you know, a couple of weeks – or last weekend – and that wasn't much of a game, you know, but the right. Big Ten didn't say, well, you know what, Iowa doesn't have a quarterback. We're going to substitute Ohio State or Penn State, or we're going to wait. This is the Western Conference. We're going to, well, let's go grab Nebraska or, or Wisconsin and bring them in. No, they let them play it out on the field because upsets happen. Yeah. And I have to say, in defense of Florida State, Florida State, they have a heck of a defense. 
there are going to be games. They could have, they could have mm-hmm. muscled that out. And I think people did not give any kind of credence to the fact that their second string quarterback was going to be back in time. The guy was missing because of concussions. He wasn't missing because he was going to be right. out for the season like their starter was. And so you still had a competent guy that could come in and, We've seen the Trent Dilfers of the world take a competent offense and lead it to a championship when you have a championship defense, and Florida State has one. So, like, in your opinion, I mean, is this an SEC invitational or is this a, an actual playoff? And, and, t- and are we going to see an extrapolation of this next year where it's the, does the SEC get five teams in every year and everybody else has to scramble for the other seven? I mean, is that fair? Well, yeah. to, or are we going to see an equity here, or is this going to continue well, to be unfair popularity contest? Yeah, I, I think if you're not a fan of the, the SEC or the Big Ten, it's unfortunate for you because those two conferences are going to dominate this thing from here on out because they've got the bulk of the high-end programs. And I will say, like, credit to the SEC. I think most years it is – you know, I will take the top five or six teams in the SEC and match them up against the top five or six in any other conference. This year may have leaned a little bit more heavily Pac-12, especially early in the year, um, but then that conference sort of cannibalized itself, um, and it no longer exists. <laughs> so quite literally cannibalized itself both on and off the field this year. Um, I think, look, I don't think it will get so far as to where we've got, you know, five SEC teams in there. But, I mean, I guess when you look at it, like, again, we're going to have the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, and ACC champs. So there's our four, right? We're going to have the one group of five team that gets in every year, and that leaves those seven spots in between, right? The bulk of those are going to come, again, from the SEC and the Big Ten. You could look at it this year and, and look at the alignment of the top 12 teams, the way they stack up in the CFP rankings right now. You've got uh, one, two, three, three Big Ten teams there. Uh, you've got – oh, sorry, I'm going to include Washington because that's a future Big Ten team, right? I should include Oregon. That's a future Big Ten team. So there you go. We've got five Big Ten teams right there if this were – you know, fast forward in, in the next year's conference alignment. You've got Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Missouri, Ole Miss, and Oklahoma. That is, that's six SEC teams. So, you know, it's going to – we are, I think, rapidly approaching um, maybe not an SEC invitational type of atmosphere in the college football playoff, but I do think we're rapidly approaching a system that distills itself down into two mega conferences, right? We're going to look up 20 years from now. And there's a good chance we've got some form of 16-team playoff, maybe, maybe even more. Who knows? I saw a, a great column written up in The Athletic, actually, today about um, what a p- possible future 24-team playoff could look like, much like they have in all the other divisions of college football. Because once we separate out into two mega conferences, which I do think is still a distinct possibility in the next 10 to 12 years, you're then going to stop caring about auto bids. Conference championship games may not even exist anymore. It's going to start to look like the NFL playoffs, in effect. You're going to have so many from this side, so many from that side. Maybe one or two wild cards get in from the other conferences, including the group of five conferences. But it's going to become really ruled by the big SEC. And, again, when, those, when the schools in those conferences, Joe, think about Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State – when they see what kind of money is to be made 
by hosting an on-campus playoff game in December, the last thing they're going to want to do is get a buy straight into a bowl game and a neutral site game, right? So that's how you get an expanded playoff. That's how you guarantee some of the top teams at least one home game at some point during the playoff. I, I don't think it's entirely crazy in the next 10, 15, maybe 20 years. Maybe maybe it's when we're old and gray. Uh, but it, it, an expanded playoff to 16 or even 24 teams, the first couple of rounds being on campus sites and really just holding the semis and the final again at uh, neutral bowl locations. And again, it will all be dominated for the most part by the Big Ten and the SEC. That's where all those programs reside or where they will reside within the next 10 to 15 years. Well, do you see a continued collapse? I like your analogy about the NFL. Uh, you know, you, there's an AFC and an NFC, and they play for the Super Bowl mm-hmm. every year. You know, is it a Big Ten and an SEC, or do those names change uh, down the road? Who knows? Uh, but you're right. I mean, you're getting to a point where uh, these these conferences are collapsing into one another, and I would think that, you know, it's pretty easy to, to, to dictate how this works. I mean, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, everybody does it the same way. If you're you, if you win your division, you win your division. You go to the playoffs. Everybody else has to compete for a wild card, and or you know, in this case, just take the two top teams from each conference. You know how hard is that? And that gives you at least up until the Pac-12 collapse, that would give you ten. You only needed two more from you know the the group of five, and then you had your twelve man playoff, and each 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 conference got two. I mean, that would make sense. It's the same thing. And, and the right. pros, I mean, there's four, six, and seven teams. You know, you know you're looking at, like, the, the Saints and the Falcons, and, and one of them is going to be a champion yeah. in that division. And they're going to get in, and they're going to play in a wild card game, but they're going to get in. And, you know, I see, you know, if I had trust, like, the NFL has a strong centralized governance and I just don't see that anywhere. The NCAA looks, it's a paper tiger. Right. Yeah. The big, the blue bloods get away with everything. Everybody else gets punished uh, or overlooked. And, you know, this is a situation where the, you know, Florida state Seminoles is a big, very important school to the NCAA and they got overlooked uh, because of money here. And, and it, it wasn't because uh, they were undeserving. It wasn't because they were G five. It wasn't because of any of that stuff. They got passed over you know, like you described earlier, I think because of the, the ESPN angle and not wanting to leave Alabama or Georgia on the sideline. Uh, and it wasn't, that wasn't, the issue wasn't settled on the field. And I think that's mm-hmm. the most unfair piece here. But when you see these collapsing conferences, do you see them going to a system where it's, I mean, maybe the names change and the Big Ten and the SEC thing go away and it's the North versus the South or the East versus the West or right. whatever it might be. I mean, where do you see that going? Or do you think that that's not going to, do we get down to three? Like, does the ACC and the Big 12 collapse into one another and create some, you know, amalgam Frankenstein conference there? So there's a third. I mean, or do you really see this being, you know, the Big Ten versus the SEC moving forward in the next 20 years? Yeah, I, I really do, Joe. I think it's the two power conferences. And regardless of what they're called, whether they're still called the Big Ten and the SEC or not, like, again, Let's just look at what we talked about a second ago with if you look at what a 12-team playoff would look like this year, you'd have your top 11 basically, right? And then you'd have your one group of five representative, who in this case would be Liberty. Um, Of those 11 teams, those top 11 teams, 11 of them are in one of those two conferences starting next year. You know, the Big Ten of the SEC, the only one that isn't Florida, is going to end up, you know, they're – 
it was only a wild social media rumor earlier this week, but there was a little there's a little dust up, a little rumor earlier this week on social media about Florida State hey, listening to overtures from the Big Ten. Um, we've heard that about Miami before, even though people say, oh, well, Southeast is this. It, uh, no, it, teams are going to go where there's the most money. And the programs that are able to find homes in one of those two conferences are going to continue to thrive and get the best looks for potential playoff appearances. And I think what you'll end up with is, yeah, it may be some sort of amalgamation of the remnants of the Big 12 and the the ACC and really everybody else, right? And uh, they'll probably, you know, they'll probably drag along some of the Mountain West programs or at least the Mountain West affiliates like your Oregon State and your Washington State who are sort of free agents for the next couple of years. They'll drag along some of those group of five programs that are a little larger and, and maybe better equipped to survive in that in this new atmosphere. But eventually you're going to have the big two and then everybody else. And I imagine they'll have a couple spots set aside, right, for everybody else. And then the big two will end up filling out the bulk of that playoff bracket. Again, whether it's 12, 16, 20, 24, whatever it ends up looking like, um, we're, we're, we're headed for that because there's just too much money. There's a, there's a great book, and I, I can't remember the name of it. It's actually sitting upstairs for me right now. I wish I could go get it. But um, it's about the Premier League. And there are a, not, a lot of analogies to, way, to the way the English Premier League was formed back in the early 90s and the way it started to grow and thrive in the mid-90s to the way college football is set up here in America. And it's because it, it just took people coming along and seeing the money, right, seeing the dollar signs. And the more the dollar signs continue to grow, the more zeros you put at the end, the more people are going to try to get in on that. And you're going to end up distilling it down and filtering it down into a certain number of programs Maybe eventually where, you know, 24 teams in one mega conference, 24 in the other, and there are, you know, four little six-team pods. And really, you're in a conference with somebody, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily play them more than once every three or four years. And it's just loosely based, you know, loosely tied together based on revenues anyway. So I, I do think, you know, that comparison to the NFC and the AFC, I, I think that's what we end up looking like with just a whole lot more teams because it's D1 college football. And everybody else will be sort of spun off into these various secondary conferences and be granted very little chance to actually get into these tournaments as they exist in the next 10, 12, 15 years. So let me pivot a little bit because we've been talking a lot about the, the playoffs. Let's actually talk mm-hmm. about the playoffs. You know, so yeah. <laughs> uh, of, the, of the games uh, that, uh, you know, we're looking forward to seeing here, some of these these games, they're set up just – I, I don't know how they, they ended up picking some of these, these, these teams in the bowl games, whatever. You know, I'm not going to get into that. But from your perspective, obviously the playoff games are going to be important. I think everyone's really excited to see Michigan versus Alabama. I think it's a, kind of like the hate bowl. There are those haters out there that don't like mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. The guy got suspended twice this year. Uh, for, you know, what I would describe as questionable practices. Uh, and then you've got the Alabamas of the world who are kind of like, it's us versus everybody at this point. And they're playing in the granddaddy of them all, right? The spectacle of all spectacles in the, in the Rose Bowl. Uh, and that's not to diminish what Washington and Texas can bring. Those are two teams that don't play defense. God, that game could be 50 to 49. I mean, literally mm-hmm. could be a rerun of Michigan TCU last year. Uh, those yeah. will be fun. Um, 
outside of and look, maybe you're looking forward to both those games too, and I want to hear your opinion on them. But you know, are there other games out there that intrigue you, and why do they intrigue you? Well, before I get to the playoff games themselves, let me say I think there are some bowl games that could be really intriguing. Like one that, that you look at right away and go, eh, I don't know about that, is Liberty, Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, and it's because Oregon's probably going to have some opt-outs, right? Like I don't think – I'd imagine Bo Nix doesn't play in that game. If he hasn't already opted out, I'm sure he will to get ready uh, for the NFL draft. I, I think that's an interesting one because – Oregon should blow them out. And maybe it's more of a gambling angle and you look at the point spread and say, oh, Liberty's only going to lose by two touchdowns instead of three. But I think that'll be interesting just to see a program like Liberty. You know, it reminds me a bit of, you know, 15, 16 years ago when Boise originally arrived on the stage at the Fiesta Bowl, right? And they upset Oklahoma with the trick plays. And I I think you may get something similar like to to that. Um, I think the Snub Bowl, as a lot of people are calling it, the Orange Bowl, is going to be a great one, Georgia-Florida State, because think about it. You, you mentioned it earlier. Georgia, for the last two years, has been protecting this undefeated record. They were trying to become the first team to win three consecutive championships. Everything has been building up to the culmination of the end of this season, and then, boom, they lose to their arch rival, and it all comes crashing down. Whereas Florida State does everything right they're supposed to do all year. They get snubbed. Their coaches both skip the media day for the bowl game uh, because they don't want to be involved in it. Um, there's, you know, again, rumblings and rumors that one or both teams may boycott it. But in reality, Florida State wants to show the world that they belonged in the top four with the big boys. So I think there's going to be a lot of dudes playing with a chip on their shoulder. I think Mike Norvell will be coaching with a chip on his shoulder. I think for Georgia, after two years of being undefeated and back-to-back national titles, it's a huge letdown, and so that should be a great game despite Florida State playing with a backup quarterback. And you mentioned it, their defense. I, I actually think that's good. that might be the best bowl game um, of any non-playoff game. The only other one that I think challenges it, and I, say, I don't say this as a Penn State alum or fan, is Penn State Ole Miss, especially if Jackson Dart decides to play for the Rebels because – that's two really good teams. That's two teams that, like I, I mentioned earlier, if we had a 12-team playoff this year, they'd both be in it. Uh, two teams that are consistently sort of scratching and fighting and clawing with the big boys of their conference for national championship respect, level respect, right? Ole Miss constantly chasing down Bama and Georgia and LSU. Um, Penn State constantly chasing down Ohio State and Michigan. And they get a chance to kind of prove it against each other in the Peach Bowl. So as long as there aren't too many opt-outs in that game, I know, for example, Chop Robinson, the Penn State pass rusher, has already opted out. Uh, But, again, as long as Jackson Dart plays, I think, you know, he's the catalyst for that offense. I think it should be a really good game, Ole Miss and Penn State. Um, That's another one I have an eye on. As for the playoff games themselves, I will say this. Before I get to the one that you mentioned first that I think a lot of people are looking forward to the most, Bama and Michigan, um, I will say the Sugar Bowl, the nightcap on New Year's Day, I, I mistakenly started to divest myself of my interests in Washington down the stretch because they look kind of shaky, right? Like, Penix didn't look like himself. They were – Got real shaky. Yeah, you know, they – they go up to Corvallis, and 
you know, they win a game there, but it's, it's, it's sort of rain and wind soaked. And, um, you know, they just didn't look like themselves a couple of times down the stretch. And I thought, man, maybe Washington isn't it, but then they go to Vegas and just take it to Oregon in the PAC 12 title game. And so I'm all the way back in on Washington. Yeah. The defense is going to have its issues with Texas, but I think this is the classic game. The way I thought this season would, 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 um, shape up most of the year going all the way back to August was when I look at every game, I'm going to look at quarterback versus quarterback and give me the better quarterback. It's the year of the quarterback in college football. And I know we'll get into that as it relates to the NFL in a little bit, but I really think football as a whole right now, whether we're talking NFL, whether we're talking college, hell, if we're talking high school football, it's about the quarterback without a good quarterback, you cannot win games at any level. And I think when it comes down to it, Penix is better than Ewers, as good as Quinn Ewers showed he can be in the Big 12 title game. He's also been able to lay an egg here and there. And I think Penix, when he struggled this year, we saw it was due Washington over Texas and the Sugar. Um, and that kind of feeds into why I like Bama for an upset in the Rose Bowl. I, I know it's going to hurt your your amazing blue heart to hear this, Joe. But like, <laughs> Sorry, I, man. Go ahead. It, Everyone has their own opinion. I'm scared of the game, laugh. too, brother. I'm scared of it. <laughs> if they put this, think about it. Nick Saban has three weeks to get ready for this thing, right? He's got one of the best defenses he's had in the last decade, if not the best defense he's had in the last decade. Going up against a Michigan team that has the best defense in the country this year, you're absolutely right. Quarterback who hasn't been asked to – who hasn't had to have a game thrown on his shoulders at all yet this year, right? It's been about the run game from Michigan. It's been about choking out the opponent. Like, if this were a UFC fight, Michigan is a ground-and-pound grappler, right? And they want to get you in a submission hold. Whereas Bama, no, they, they want to stand there and throw punches, right? They want to see if they can stick you with a couple quick jabs and maybe, you know, maybe stun you a little bit. And then they hit you with the knockout punch, which is Jalen Milrow figuring out how to play football magically halfway through this season. And so if both defenses and both coaches – and I don't, I don't hate Harbaugh. I mean, I'm a Big Ten guy, so I guess I have to have a healthy amount of dislike for him, sure. But, like, this is two really talented defenses who, if the game is put in the lap of their respective quarterbacks, the way Milrow is playing right now, I'm going to take Milrow over McCarthy. I haven't seen McCarthy take a game against a quality opponent this year and really, you know, put it in his arms and just rock it to sleep. So, um, I suspect Bama actually has a really good shot at the upset in the Rose Bowl. And I think Bama-Washington would be a great national championship game because it's, you know, irresistible force against the immovable object. It would be a lot of fun, that's for sure. You know, my, my concern about the Rose Bowl for Michigan, and I'll be a homer for a second, is that uh, all the things you just described, I mean, I hate to say it because I'm a fan of the Big Ten too, but it feels sometimes like it's – the big pretend like they get, you know, and it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. Michigan, Ohio state. It just seems like they get to those championship games and fold. Like they, they run into that SEC opponent and fold. And last year it was a big 12 opponent in, in terms of TCU. And, you know, it, it's, you know, and I, and I don't know if that's a matter of competition. I mean, Michigan plays a light out of conference schedule. Uh, and then, yeah. you know, they basically play Penn state and Ohio state. They, you know, and they, they both games were, were competitive. Michigan was the better team in both games, but not by a long shot. And, uh, you know, the Bamas of the world play four of those games <laughs> before they get there. And then they go right. play an SEC right. game. And 
you know, and, and that's the thing I think that, that scares me a bit is that, like, I don't, I, you know, the battle tested nature of an SEC team and, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe Michigan comes out and I hope to goodness that they do win for the sake of my own sanity. But, you know, ultimately, um, you know, I, my expectation is that Bama comes in, matches their defenses. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not all that impressed with Jalen Milrow. I think that there's a obsession with an Alabama quarterback in the same way for a long time there was an obsession with a USC quarterback. And Milrow mm-hmm. and his predecessors looked pretty good behind that that uh, that Alabama offensive line. But this is a year where they yeah. don't have a stud running back. They don't have a real – I mean, they've got Isaiah Bond at receiver – but you know, ultimately, they don't have a stud receiving core. They don't have that tight end that like Herb Smith that's just going to break away. But Michigan does. You know, Michigan has yeah. got you know, uh, you know, two solid running backs. I just don't know. That, you know, they're so dependent on that. Uh, you know, I'm not sure outside of you know the the you know, occasional pass down field. Uh, that they're going to be able to either keep up. And, and I think Milrow's not a good quarterback yet. He might blow up, blossom into one. I think right now he's a good, you know, like he reminds me a lot of Vince Young in the sense he had one read, if it's not there, run. Right? And yeah. I think and, and I do see think, a little bit I, of that. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a really good point to be made, too, about, you know, if Michigan should get a lead in this thing, especially a healthy, like, two-score lead, then you start to wonder if Milrow will press, Right. And we saw him make those kind of mistakes earlier in the year that could pop up again against an opportunistic defense like Michigan's. If Michigan gets up, you know, 13 nothing in this thing or 14-3, you know, and Jalen Milrow starts to feel the pressure to make something happen, then I think it's likely it could lead to the kind of mistake where things spiral out of control and Nick Saban can only do so much to try and rein things back in. But that, I think, is the one avenue that I look at and say should scare Alabama the most is, you know, we might be – we've had some tremendous comeback moments in this season, sure. Like, the Auburn game is is prime A1 example, but this ain't Auburn. It's Michigan. We're not – if if we get to come back by a couple scores against this defense, we're in trouble. Agreed. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to be the most interesting game. I don't want to call it the, you know, the championship game. Cause I think both Washington and Texas can put up a fight uh, in mm-hmm. the next game. But I think this is the one that everybody's going to be watching. I know I'm going to be watching. That's one that's going to be must watch TV for any college yeah. fan, but let me pivot a little bit to a question you, you were begging a few minutes ago. I mean, I, the, I think all of us that are fans of football have watched the NFL's quarterback play over the last 10 years really uh, disintegrate in many respects. The, the traditional NFL pocket passer is, is rare. Uh, the Justin Herberts of the world and, and the Jalen Hurts of the world and the Josh Allens of the world now have wheels. These guys can run, mm-hmm. and they're big, and some, in some cases they're just as big as linebackers and can run through some things. And I think a part of that, uh, we've seen the NFL game take on a lot of what the NCAA game has been uh, with these spread offenses and my best athlete against your worst athlete, and we're going to line up and I'm going to take advantage of that. So you see the Appalachian States over the Michigans, and you see the, these, these crazy upsets that you wouldn't see because of scheme. You know, and I think the NFL has lost a pro passer 
scheme. And we've seen over the last couple of years, say for this past year with C.J. Stroud, I mean, I'll, I'll take him out of the mix for, for one second because he is sort of a statue back there. He doesn't, doesn't have the wheels of many. But the Anthony Richardsons and the Jalen Hurts and the Josh Allens and the Justin Herberts, and these guys all have wheels. Even our Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh uh, is mobile. You know, here's a guy that can roll out. He's, you know, 6'3", 230. He's, he, could, he could take on a linebacker and survive that. And the diminished, the, the, the smaller diminutive, uh, you know, passer is like the, the Drew Breeses, they're, they're, they're hard to find. And Drew Brees, I hate to say diminutive, yeah. the guy was six foot tall, uh, you know, or <laughs> Michael Vick, six foot tall, you know, and, and these guys play. But, you know, has the, how has the NCAA changes in their schematic games affected the pros and or do you see a place where the pros get back to the to the pocket passer the Peyton Mannings the Tom Brady's you know the the, the you know, even the Ben Roethlisberger Ben was at least mobile in the beginning but at the end there he was standard pocket passer do you see the the NFL migrating away in the same way the NCAA has taken it and I'll see a change uh, a, a literal you know a, a, a shift in the way that they play Mm -hmm. uh, and looking for those quarterbacks, or do you see a return to pocket passing at at some point uh, as, you know, college football continues to evolve? What what are your thoughts on the position of quarterback? Yeah, I just think as long as we've got people trying to innovate on both sides of the ball, but especially on offense, um, we're we're probably never going to see a shift again back towards – an era of pocket passers. Like, I I think there's room for that here and there, right? Like, especially as, you know, quarterbacks get older, they've got to evolve into more pocket passers, right? You know, a a guy like Joe Burrow, who came out of college with a a good amount of mobility, well, he he tears an ACL here, he busts up an elbow there, and before you know it, he's not as as keen on, on running around with the football, and his coach isn't as keen on him doing that either. And so, he's going to start to remain in the pocket a little bit more as he gets older. Um, but I don't think, you know, Joe Burrow is a pretty rare exception given his abilities, uh, his arm talents. Uh, and so I, I do think there's going to be a certain amount of mobility that has to be baked in to a successful NFL quarterback going forward because the systems that are being developed uh, at the college level and then copied by NFL teams because no longer like 40, 50 years ago, do the, do the college systems copy the pro systems and the best things they do, it's vice versa. Um, we're, we're, we turned the corner and I, I don't know if there's any kind of going back to a world where you can survive uh, on pocket passing alone. I just, especially because when you start to, get into a world of 17 and 18 regular season games, and we'll have 18 sooner rather than later. Um, quarterbacks are look – at, look at just this, this year in particular. Quarterbacks are much more likely to get injured. And so your backups are going to have to be able to bring something to the table other than the diminished skill set that they have next to your starters, right? And more often than not, I would think they're going to have to have some mobility as well in order to get to the NFL level from college. So I, I think that's a, there's a lot of convoluted factors going into why we're probably never going back to a pocket passer dominated league like Brady and Manning are probably the last great generation of that. Um, but it's just, it, it, the game has, has passed that by, I think at this point. And um 
tracking that we have now is is not fun. It's not what it may have been 15, 20 years ago. But also, we're also coming out of an era of quarterbacking that I think was probably like, – I don't know if that can ever be matched. The era of um, Brady versus Manning with Roethlisberger and Rivers and Breeze – and I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting is, is the kind of undercard to that, right? Like there was a time where you had half a dozen or more great in the league all at the same time, and they were all that sort of, I don't want to say standard pocket passer, but they all had the ability to be a guy who stood there in the pocket, climbed the ladder, and delivered, right? Now we're just we're so far past that. Speaking of NFL quarterbacks, there has been a spate even with the new rule changes, which have, have really pacified pass rushing uh, in many respects, even with that, there, I mean, we're down to, like, Justin Herbert is just the latest and the greatest quarterback. He's now on IR, and we, we'll miss the rest of the season with a broken finger requiring surgery. It just, is, is it just a fluky year? Where I mean, I think that the winner of the Super Bowl is going to be the team that has the only quarterback. It's like uh, Hunger Games, like you just have to <laughs> survive and have these. If you have a starting quarterback, and you look at these teams, and you're like, all right, well, Mahomes hasn't gotten injured yet, and there was a there was a close call with Trevor Lawrence and Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts. Hurts had that knee thing, but he survived that. But everybody else, it just seems Burrow, chief among them. Uh, has got blown up this year. Even Kenny Pickett locally, yeah. uh, you know, you know, with with the surgery on, on a, it just seems like every starting quarterback. Why is is it just a fluke, or is there a reason for that? Even with these extra rules to protect the starting QBs. So one, we are in an era of more mobile quarterbacks, right? So guys are more comfortable escaping and running. You know, they, this is not like I mentioned where when we were at the peak of Brady Manning um, and even the, the second half of uh, the Roethlisberger tenure, you know, Rivers was never really mobile either. Breeze in the last few years wasn't super mobile. Um, those guys just weren't, you know, real keen to, to busting the pocket and um, taking off when they had the opportunity, even if they had a clear opportunity to. Um, so guys are more mobile. They're more likely to take the, a, a random hit here and there. I also think offensive line play, you know, we talk about quarterback play being watered down around the league. I think offensive line play is pretty watered down around the league as well. There's just not a great, you know, you go back again, 15, 20 years, not, not to, to sit here and sort of shake our fist at the clouds like, like a bunch of old men, but you know, there were more than a handful of offensive linemen who were perennial all pros you can name off the top of your head. There are some like that now, but it feels like they're fewer and farther between. And, you know, we got 32 teams now, and it feels like the it's much harder to find, for example, a franchise left tackle who can sit there and handle the the behemoth pass rushers, the Bosa brothers, the T.J. Watts, the Miles Garretts, the Micah Parsons and Aiden Hutchinsons of the league, because they as well, there's another trickle up from college to the pros, are learning all these various blocking schemes that aren't necessarily built around pocket passing. So when a quarterback takes a simple five-step drop and is asked to stand back there for 2.8 seconds 
and process before he delivers, uh, the linemen aren't always prepared to hold those blocks the way, say, a generation or two prior were. So you've got watered-down offensive lines. You've got a watered-down talent base of quarterbacks. And I think it does. It lends itself to – maybe this year is a little fluky just by the sheer number, the cumulative number of starting quarterbacks we've seen go down with major injuries. But I I think it's something we have to be more prepared for, especially, like I said, as we – as we move towards bigger schedules, eventually they'll be playing 18 regular season games. And, you know, you're going to have to have a backup quarterback that you more than trust to just turn around and hand the ball off 25 times a week. You're going to have to have a backup quarterback that you believe, if you don't expect them to, you, you at least think it's in there, that he can make one or two throws a game that can keep you in a game. So – Funny you mention the, the, the quarterback and the offensive line play because I've heard proposals and with the growth of the – going from 16 to 18 games as an eventuality, we mm-hmm. all understand that. There's a money play there. Players want it, league wants it, fans want it. Uh, I've heard situations where there there may be teams – you know, teams get two buys a year. I've seen mm-hmm. – I've heard proposals where they the league may play every 10 days. So you're playing on a Sunday and then you don't play until the next Thursday or they play, you know, over top of, of, of games at different times of the year to spread that out to, to help with mending and, you know, just sort of maintenance of players and things like that, which I don't think that happens. I think the NFL owns Sundays. I, I think it's really hard to get away from yeah. that. Uh, I've seen, I've heard talk about them expanding their rosters and things like that, but it, do you see a, a solution to this or you just think that this is, going to be the way of the future and 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 it, it is what it is hey we're gonna to have to live with it there's going to be your, your team has to put up you know has to stock away a quality backup quarterback you know or you're gonna to have to find a way to to you know have swing linemen that can play every position because you're they're not going to survive the season is there a solution or you just think this is the way of the future well i, I think some of the things you mentioned are certainly going to end up coming to pass right like you have to continue to expand rosters. We've seen practice squads expand. I think the, the main rosters will uh, eventually expand along with the practice squads that are now much larger than they used to be, two and three times larger, I want to say, than they used to be even five, ten years ago. Um, I do think eventually when we get to 18 games, the players are going to insist on an extra bye week and probably look for a way – to build those buys into um, the when they play on short weeks. Like, short weeks are doing a disservice to the game. Teams playing on Sunday and having to, to circle back around, especially teams having to go on the road, um, having to circle back around and play four days later. It's yeah, or a London not, or a Frankfurt game, and they're going to go to Mexico right. City. It's just crazy stuff, right? It, it's, yeah, and it's not conducive to good football. Um, I understand the league is more worried about revenue um, because they've gotten to a point where people just look at the NFL as the NFL and they're not worried about the product necessarily being watered down. But um, I do think we'll get to a point where we're talking about 18 games over 20 weeks. And I, honestly, like this sounded, I said this to someone a couple of years ago, probably coming right around the time they expanded to 17 games or initially brought up the idea of expanding to 17 games. I said, we're going to get to a point where we have a Super Bowl in March someday. Like, that's going to happen. Like, if you just looked at this year's schedule, and it was a 20-week regular season schedule, as opposed to 
uh, an 18-week regular season schedule. Well, that means the regular season then isn't going to end until, I want to say, the 21st of January, right? And then we're going to have the wild cards on the 28th of January, and then first weekend in February will be the divisional round. Then what will typically be the weekend before Valentine's Day will be the conference championships. And before you know it, yeah, we're, we're talking about a Super Bowl that's the last weekend of February or the uh, quite possibly the first weekend of March. Here's the thing. The NFL doesn't care because they know that the appetite is there, at least for the TV product, right? Um, and as long as that appetite is there, as long as ratings keep going up, as long as you keep seeing that, you know, 48 out of the 50 top-rated primetime shows on television in a given year are football games, they're going to continue to give it to you until they feel like they've reached critical mass. And I still don't think they're quite there yet. Um, maybe that's where they reach the point, you know, when we've got a, a March 1st Super Bowl someday, maybe that'll be too much for people. But think about it. March 1st, most of the, most of the country is still in the depths of winter, right? Like it's cold and dreary out. And unless you live down in Florida or Southern California or Arizona, um, and, and you're welcoming ball players to the area for spring training, you, you're still trying to work out of the doldrums of winter. And as long as the weather's nasty, then and, – and you've seen this with, like, the first two or three weeks of these spring leagues that have played that have started right after the Super Bowl ended. They get decent ratings in late February and early March before the weather turns over most of the country and people stop staying inside to watch football on the weekends. Um, so – as long as it's there, that's going to be the appetite. That's what we'll eventually get to because as little leverage as the players have because they all want to continue to get these paychecks, um, and I don't blame them. You know, in a, in a world where you only have good years in your career, you want to max out your earning potential. Um, I do think we'll get to a point where they've got to add more active roster players. They've got to give them that second uh, week of uh, that second week off, that second bye week. And uh, eventually that's probably what we're looking at. I don't know if that does it, though, for getting you better quarterback play, for example. Like, I think we're, we're steadily moving towards an age of, like you just said a moment ago, well, the team that is in best position come playoff time is the team that's healthiest. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, especially this year in particular. I mean, it's just it's crazy to think – uh, that it might not be the best team that wins, it's the healthiest team that wins. You know, someone that could put mm -hmm. guys. I mean, I think everyone in Miami last night held their collective breath when Tyreek Hill injured himself uh, because the, the and and they lost their center. Uh, and you look at that and you're like, they're not going to be the same team without either one of those guys. And you know, and look, every it's a game of injury. I mean, I, I know everybody gets this. You have to survive that. You have to have depth, which is why drafts are so important. Which is why you know, you know, being able to to train these guys up to play multiple positions and do different things are so important these days for that kind of stuff. But I think that the league too has done exactly what it set out to do and has reached a level of parity. You know, when you look at the AFC, yeah. every team, every team this week lost. I mean, the Steelers lost on Thursday, and I thought, all right, they're gonna, they might not even be in a playoff seed, but and it was everybody. Everybody lost. Or you get a handful of teams like the Miami Dolphins and or the Dallas Cowboys who look really good at home, and then whenever they play someone of substance, don't do well. And are, are they pretenders or are they, you know, or, or are they contenders? And we'll find that out 
when we get to the playoffs. And then there were those, that, those just a couple of those core teams, like San Francisco, Philadelphia, and I never count out Kansas City and, and Patrick Mahomes. But as you're looking at it this year, what are your predictions for the AFC? What are your predictions for the NFC? And who do you, who do you think goes to the Super Bowl? Who, who takes on the, the, the big trophy at the end of the year? Man, it's it's hard to argue with the way the Cowboys are playing right now. Um, again, can they stay healthy enough? Um, can Prescott avoid the big mistakes come playoff time? And how does having to play an extra playoff game uh, affect them? Because I don't think they can catch, despite their performance uh, Sunday night, I, I just don't think it's likely, given the schedule down the stretch, uh, that the Eagles don't secure the division uh, at the very least, um, if not still the number one seed, given the way their schedule stacks up. they got the easiest schedule left in the league, I think, over the last four weeks, Philly does. So San Francisco or Philly are, are probably going to be the number one seed. Eagles probably win the division. Cowboys probably have to be that fifth seed that goes on the road and just squashes, you know, whoever the NFC South champ is. Um, it's kind of like a bye, I guess. Uh, get some tuned up for the second week of the playoffs. And I think we've seen Detroit show their warts over the last couple of weeks. I mean, Dak Prescott going to Detroit in a playoff game, I mean, he may hit 50 on the scoreboard against that defense. And then it's a matter of can they do it. I, I think the Niners are still, as long as they have the weapons available, they stay healthy and Purdy doesn't make any mistakes. Um, they're probably the favorite. But Dallas is the one team, I think, that they are healthy. Prescott has shown he's got the capability to stand there toe-to-toe with the San Francisco offense. And much like we talked about with the college football playoffs, like, hey, I'll still take it in football. Give me the better quarterback. And Brock Purdy is a good quarterback. I'm not going to say he's not. I'm not going to call him a product of the system. But Brock Purdy is as good as he is because of his head coach, his offensive play caller, Kyle Shanahan, and the weapons around him. I don't think Dak Prescott is as good as he is this year because I think Dak is simply that talented. So Prescott versus Purdy in an NFC championship game, I think I take Dak. The AFC is so much wilder to me because there is no one dominant team. Like Baltimore may look like it one week, right? But uh, you think back to – some of their early season losses and you just shake your head. Um, Miami may look like it one week, but then Tyreek Hill goes down and they, they just lose all semblance of their ability to score points on offense. Um, Buffalo, you know, looks like they're resurgent, but how long until Josh Allen turns over the ball in a backbreaking moment? Can Trevor Lawrence stay healthy enough for the Jags to do anything in the playoffs? Um, are, are the Chiefs melting down right before our very eyes? I, I think the AFC is as wide open as it's ever been. I mean, even the Broncos, who I thought were a joke coming into this season, are starting to put some things together with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. So, I mean, I I like Baltimore, not just because they have the best record in the AFC right now, but because I think you take coaching staff, you take quarterback, you take a defense that has had its ups and downs but still has a pair of inside linebackers that can dominate the middle of the field. Uh, and get sideline to sideline as well. I really like the Ravens for their ability to neutralize what is the number one weapon in most AFC teams passing attack, which is the tight end, right? Like they can neutralize uh, with their inside linebackers, Travis Kelsey. They can neutralize Evan Ingram. They can 
neutralize uh, Kincaid um, and uh, the other tight end in Buffalo. Name escapes me right now. But, you know, they can neutralize – Knox, thank you. They can neutralize uh, those inside threats. Um, Now, the one wild card in that scenario, and I don't mean playoff team wild card, but I think the one variable in that scenario is – a healthy Tyree kill in the Miami Dolphins because they're doing it on the edges and Baltimore can be had on the perimeter. So I think it's the Ravens or the Dolphins, and I think either one of them um, would make for a great game against Dallas. But if they had to go up against San Francisco, I think the Niners would be the team that I would favor in that scenario. But it's definitely a whole hell of a lot different than I thought it would be preseason when I had Bengals and Eagles pegged as the teams. And once again, goes back to quarterbacks getting hurt, right? Hertz has been up and down dealing with injuries all year, and Joe Burrow's out for the season now. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I said in the beginning of the season we're going to see a repeat. We're going to see the, the Chiefs versus the Eagles, and, and I'm still holding out on that for two reasons. One, I agree with you. I think that Philly's schedule, especially the schedule going down the stretch, puts them not only as division chance, but also gives them that, that buy, and then everybody has to go through Philadelphia mm. in January. Yeah. And I don't know if San Francisco can do that in January. I don't know if Dallas can do that outside the Dome in January. And I think that's very difficult there. And I think that they – look, they were 10-1 and one all the way – and they played a hell of a stretch, right? And, and the, you know, the, they, they didn't survive it as well as they did, but they, they, their other games they were winning. And even though they, they, they didn't have to win them sexy, they still won them. And I think right. in the AFC, just experience. And I also think that that play call – that ended this past weekend's game is going to galvanize that team. It's a veteran team. Mm. Uh, yes, they don't have the weapons that they once did, and Kelsey is getting long in the tooth. Uh, and this might be a situation where, you know, Andy Reid eventually wears out his welcome. But I think they still have a year left in them, and, I, and I'm not sure Jacksonville's arrived yet. I'm not a believer in Baltimore. I will say this. One of the most understated moves of 2023 was – them sending a second-round pick to the Chicago Bears for Rokon Smith. I mean, that, yeah. what a ripoff. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. unbelievable. The Steelers, to me, look, I know we got a second round back from them, and it turned into Joey Porter Jr., and I'm very happy with that. And we, we got rid of a, you know, a underperformer in Chase Claypool. But um, I would have loved to have sent that number two back to get Rokon Smith. How much different would this defense look with that guy playing for the Steelers this year? And, I thought that was an inexpensive. I would have given it up twice on Sundays and every other day of the week. Like it was literally staring me in the face. Um, but I'm not sure if I'm a believer of them. And so if, if it comes down to it, the Bills have too many key injuries, and I think they just they just choke. Uh, the Steelers, mm-hmm. the Browns with Flacco. I just I just I just think that Mahomes lucks himself back into it. Veterans himself back into it. Between him, Reed, and Kelsey, they get there. Uh, and, you know, as, as much as look, I, I love San Francisco's talent, it's a fun team to watch. I just think in a snowy day, 13 degrees in January, those weapons don't act yeah. as fast as they do on a fast track or same thing with Dallas. We'll see. And, you know, maybe, maybe Philadelphia chokes uh, on the way or Patrick Mahomes doesn't play well uh, on the road, but I just see a, kind of a rematch of, of last year's uh, Super Bowl, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, I, I can't argue against your, your analysis of Dallas, and I can't argue against your analysis of, of either Miami or Baltimore. I think, the, you know, Baltimore, it's going to be hard to go into Baltimore. It looks like they're going to be the, 
you know, the, the number one seed throughout. I'm just, I'm afraid of Miami on the road in any kind of cold game. Um, yeah. And we'll see how, how this injury to their center affects them. Uh, it did at the, at the, the rest of that game and they ended up choking. They gave away 21 points. I think it was an re- ugly game, but look, Chris, we, we're coming to the end of our time here. Before I let you go, tell everybody where they can reach you uh, and where they can find you uh, at BetQL and or 93.7 The Fan. Yeah, you know, I'm all over the place with uh, 93.7 The Fan. Uh, I'll be on the air uh, this Wednesday night, the 13th, as well as Friday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, Friday the uh, 15th as well, filling in for some folks. And then BetQL filling in for folks here and there as well around the holidays. Uh, but always on Twitter, at the Chris Mack, as well as on Instagram at the same handle there. Uh, giving out some different best bets as far as BetQL is concerned and always – with uh, some spicy opinions, I think, on where our Pittsburgh sports teams are going. Well, Chris, thanks again for being our guest uh, and taking up the whole hour. It was fantastic. That hour felt like 15 minutes. Welcome back yeah. anytime. And I want to thank our, uh, our sponsor, iHeartMedia, here where you can find all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all for free all the time. And remember, while Draft Nation may be off the air, we're always on the clock for you. Chris Mack, thanks again for your time this evening.